while it may be cold outside, things are getting toasty warm at Global Voice Broadcasting. Heat up your winter nights with the hottest topics, the hottest celebrities, and today's best music. It's why Global Voice Broadcasting is becoming your 24-7 home for the music and talk you want right now. Discover your favorite shows and music anytime at globalvoicebroadcasting.com. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Every man has his secret sorrows which the world knows not, and oftentimes we call a man cold when he is only sad. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. When I was working at a recovery center providing nutrition therapy for people with a whole range of mental illnesses, I met an awesome woman we will call Jill. Jill had been called a bitch, a snot, grumpy, you name it, and she wasn't mean or aloof. She was depressed. And beneath the symptoms that for a while really crippled her was this kind, loving, huge-hearted human being. To see her gradually start to shine again thanks to many kinds of support she sought and received was so inspiring. Here is one thing I know for sure. If you are in a dark and difficult place with depression right now, no matter how the symptoms are affecting you, there is no shame to be had. There's also plenty of hope. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Today, we're going to talk about depression, a very common illness, more so in women than in men, that can take all kinds of forms. Whether you or a loved one struggle with depression or you simply find the holidays particularly stressful or lonely for other reasons, so many people do. I hope today's episode will shed some light. Like Jill, today's guest has also learned to thrive after recognizing and addressing her own struggles with depression. Gemma weaves stories of travel, adventure, and community. As a full-time traveler, like literally a full-time traveler, Gemma shares the realness of her life from the perspective of living in an RV. How cool is that? Through her writing, photography, and video presence, Gemma shares stories of her travel adventures from the people she meets to the places she visits. I just watched one about her Thanksgiving. It was awesome. Her authentic storytelling provides a humorous and raw look at life with four kids in a small space. Uh, so excited to have you here, Gemma. How are you doing today? Oh, thanks so much, August. I am doing well today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, good, good. You know, I, I wanted to chat with you since we, we met at uh, Blog Her this last year, and you're such a wonderful spirit, and I, I hadn't realized that you struggle with depression. Um, but before we dive into that topic, I feel like we can't not, uh, you know, at least address uh, your adventurous lifestyle. I'm sure listeners are curious. Um, tell us why you chose this lifestyle on the road. Yeah, um, so it is a pretty crazy lifestyle, and sometimes I forget how crazy it is because it, um, after almost what'll be uh, four years on the road, I kind of forget how out of the box we are with this life. Um, yes, yeah, so for us, uh, my husband John and I, we actually 
um, went through the recovery process of sex addiction. And my husband, um, I found out, was struggling with that. And so that kind of propelled us into deciding whether or not we wanted to work on our marriage. And both of us did make the decision that we both wanted to um, try to heal what was going on in our marriage, which led us to some really intensive counseling work that we did. So we dove into basically working on ourselves and healing ourselves, which in turn then healed our relationship. And after going through those two years of really working um, on ourselves and deciding that we wanted different ways of coping with our sadness or our stress, we um, came to a place where the community we were living in, um, that had become our old life. And in order for us to really grow and become some somebody new, we kind of needed to get out of um, the jobs we were in and the, the place, the community we were living in. So we basically chose to sell our home and to use the money from the sale of our house to fund one year on the road and spend all of that money healing our family. So healing our marriage and in turn, that changed and healed a lot of our parenting style. Wow, that is a really powerful story. How long have you been living in the (laughs) RV now? Um, so in January, it will actually be five years. You're kidding so, me. So it was going to be one year and you guys kept on? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we wow. came back um, to Minnesota after a year and literally had no money. And John was offered a few jobs. And basically, our family had went from surviving to thriving. And we just felt this strange pull to keep going. And we knew that that would be the best for our family. And until we kind of get that same intuition or that same pull to do something different, um, this is the life that is good for us. That is so fascinating. And so you are able to work on the road, obviously. So you're able to maintain yourselves and take care of yourselves and emotionally and financially and physically. It sounds like it's a really holistic experience for you. Yes, it's it's given us time to work on um, our relationships with each other because we are in a small space and we need to rely on each other. And um, my husband did end up, uh, another crazy story, but he did an- end up finding income on the road um, as a software um, developer, found another man who lived in his RV with his family, and that gentleman mentored my husband from his, the back of his RV. <laughs> okay, so this needs, to, I'm sure you're a writer, so this is obviously, we can learn yeah. more about it on your blog and on your YouTube, but all of us are like, we want to read the book. Yes. So I will just put that out there to add to your already ongoing dreams. That's so inspiring. And I think there's such a great lesson in it to listen to your instincts. And like you said, now it doesn't seem outside the box, but when you have these ideas, like I want to try this and it sounds crazy to other people or even to you, sometimes it is absolutely the best thing. So thank you for for sharing that. And it does tie into our topic because I know that uh, depression is something that you've dealt with uh, that obviously in a small space, especially it's going to affect your your family. And um, I'm really curious how you first began to realize that you were struggling with depression. 
Yes, um, I would say when I I first knew it was something that I was dealing with um, when I was actually in high school, which is interesting. Um, I had some sadness that I can look back on now as a child. I grew up in a family with a history of alcoholism. And so there's a lot of coping involved with that type of dynamic. So I had learned very early to stuff a lot of my emotions um, as far as the sadness piece. And so I do remember that beginning in high school, um, I had moved to a new town and I felt very alone. Um, and then it got, it just progressed from there to the point of, I knew it was really serious when I was um, actually suicidal. Mm. And was that in high school as well? Um, so in my 20s, I actually started having my children. And so I would have, I'd go through uh the baby blues, which I had knew nothing about, but every, until I started having children and every child, I would have the baby blues, which would then propel me just like right into a deep depression where I could hardly get out of bed. Um, I just felt really numb. And so there was a point after my third child was born where it was winter time in Minnesota and um, I had just, I felt like the world was upon me and I just remember feeling like, um, like having this idea of, you know, my family would be in a better place if I wasn't there with all of this junk that I had, all this sadness I was carrying, you know, that maybe they would be better off without me. Mm. How heartbreaking. I'm sure now, you know, when you're in the in the thick of it, that's a very rational seeming thought. And now I'm sure you can, you know, there's so much um, heartbreak knowing that that is how deep the, the illness was going. How did you end up um, recognizing, first recognizing that this was really something that needed to be treated? Uh, and how did you then, you know, talk to your family about this? It's interesting because when you're in depression, um, it's almost like you have entered out of reality. So your perception of what is real is gone. And um, I really needed someone with a perspective to tell me what what the truth was. So my husband... Um, he, he didn't really know what to do for me. Um, and my, I remember my mom coming in and trying to help me with the kids. And it was really through that dialogue with my mom and my husband where they were kind of sharing with me the reality of what was going on that I, that I knew that I needed to get help. And, um, having, uh, there was a moment where I was holding my daughter who was, you know, a few months old, um, where I actually heard a voice in my head tell me to break her arm. And that's when I knew, like, this was serious. This was not me. I needed some help beyond myself. You are so brave and beautiful for sharing that because I know so oh, many thanks. women deal with that. So, I mean, I have chills all over my body. It, there are so many women who deal with this. And I feel like, you know, it's so seldom talked about. We hear the term baby blues or we hear somebody went through postpartum, but it's, 
it's very, it's under talked about, I think, and underexplored. And to yes. hear someone else say, I went through this, um, it, it normalizes it in, in a healthy way for people to say, you know what, this isn't me. And to be able to separate like that, it's it's huge. How is the depression uh, affecting your um, relationship with your husband? You said you're working on your relationship. So I'm sure uh, that may have made it both more challenging, but also, I suppose, may have even strengthened it eventually. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to say that, you know, you're right that I think part of my depression was shame. So, you know, to be able now to say that I had those thoughts, I can say that looking back. But as a young mom, there was so much shame around that, that you didn't share that. So you kept it secret, mm -hmm. which added then to your depression. So, um, and that is a point that I really want to get across is like, yes, mothers, many, many, many mothers and many, many, many people deal with depression. And if we all talked about it, it would, like you said, be a more, um, like a, a journey that was more normal, like, and we'd be able to connect in that. And so that's really why I want to share about it, even though it's very shameful to admit that as a mother, you were having these thoughts about your child. So um, I just wanted to make sure to, <laughs> to thank get that you. Point. No, that is that is so important <laughs> to know that shame is part of it. Because, you know, if somebody is hearing you say this, it could be easy to think, well, she can talk about this, you know, so I think that's really important. Thank you for, for clarifying. Yes. And as far as how it affected my relationships, um, early on, like in my, when we were having our kids in my 20, our 20s, um, it became very, the depression became isolating. So my, I kept that as my own burden. And because I kept that a secret and I kept that journey a secret, my husband wasn't really able to help me. He could see the external behaviors. Like I couldn't do the dishes some days. I couldn't get out of bed. I would lay on the couch to watch the kids. Um, I'd spend hours crying and it just became this really a spiral downward spiral of isolation, which then did bring more separation in our relationship. And um, yeah, I just, I think it affected every aspect of my life. What was the first step that you took proactively to begin healing? The first step I took was I actually went in to see my doctor and told her about my physical um, ailments, like how low energy, how I felt like I didn't have any energy. And she actually recommended that I take this test on depression. And it came back and I was severely depressed. And so she did end up putting me on medication. That was the first step. Um, the second step was for me to basically I tried many, many medications. So it was, I would try one, I would feel a little better and then I'd have to up that dosage. And then I try another one and feel a little better, but then up that dosage. Um, so eventually what really helped me was putting out what, how I say, I put out my, the fire. So I, I dealt with the extreme necessity of my brain chemicals to get back and normalized. And then 
the best thing I ever did was to get into some counseling to deal with the core of what was causing that depression. Uh, so the medication helped with helped with the the fire part, like you said, to put the fire out enough that you could then get counseling and and start talking through. Yes, and I think that what was so interesting was. The first year that I, after finding out about my husband's struggle, I went into counseling. And that year was the first winter in Minnesota that I wasn't dealing with depression. Oh, interesting. I, you know, I really think that therapy is is underutilized in our culture, too. It's almost like this, you know, we get our physical checkups. And I feel like, you know, I've had, I don't know how many years accumulative of, of therapy, but I've gone in and out of uh, times when I've been in therapy. And when you find someone that you work well with, it is such an incredible experience. Don't you think it's important for most people? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's just as important as going into your physician for your physical needs. Um, I guess for me, what I found is learning the balance between emotional, physical, and mental health. So finding a counselor to help me heal like my core wounds and then teaching me how to learn to share emotionally and be vulnerable with um, my husband and my friends, that helped me with my healing. Um, I also found an accredited um, naturopathic doctor who worked with me to figure out that gluten was a huge part of why I felt so drained. I had some severe um, food allergies, so gluten and egg were a part of that physically. And I also learned I needed to take better care of myself, so I needed to put in an exercise routine. And so today I do walking and I do yoga. Um, yoga is a really great way for me to basically have awareness of my whole body emotionally and physically. So that's those things I have found to, to really help with my depression. I love that. And I love that you presented exercise as self-care because I think a lot of times it kind of gets put into this sort of like about, you know, being a certain weight or having a certain muscle tone when some of the most important benefits are are really mental and spiritual, I think. And that's that's beautiful. And self-care just seems to fall to the wayside for so many people. And I think especially for moms with so many responsibilities. Um, with your uh, depression, I know that there are many different kinds of depression. There's, you know, there's chronic and clinical, and um, sometimes it can be something that is management ongoing. It sounds like your lifestyle is a big part of that. Do you find that now, um, you know, I don't want to present it as like, oh, you're healed. Is it? Is it something? <laughs> Could you speak to that about the recovery process and, and what management is like? Yeah, I like how you put it as a process because I really feel like any healing work that you do is a process and it's this journey. And I guess for me, I don't want to say that depression um, will never come back in my life. It's, it's always kind of subtly there. Um, and I'm aware of it. So I, I think for me today, it is just, um, the, the self-care piece is huge. Um, n connecting with other people is huge and really sharing 
for me, authentically, what other journeys that I'm having going on in my life that are difficult. And instead of being so isolated with those, um, sharing those out to have other people help me along has really been good for me. Mm, those are such important lessons for, for all of us, I think. Do you find that uh, the holidays bring up extra challenges or, or how are you doing with um, being in the thick of the holiday season? Yeah, I I think for me, actually physically moving out of Minnesota for the winter has been really helpful. And that's typically when the holidays fall. Um, so Minnesota is very gray the whole winter, and that was really hard on me. So I do take vitamin D um, to help with that. Um, yeah, other than that, the holidays, we have kind of... Because those can be associated with a lot of triggers into your family systems or things that you maybe need healing from um, as an adult. And so for us with the holidays, what we have done is redefine them for um, both John and I and our children to decide what those holidays mean to us. So what traditions do we want to do? And we have stopped looking out externally at what everyone else does or what you're supposed to do. And we have made the holidays something that is, it's very loving for our family. Powerful. I love that. That is an excellent message. And again, one I think that's so universal that hopefully we can all, because it can be such a commercialized thing and to just look inward. I love that idea. Uh, before I let you go, is there any advice or insight that you would share if somebody's listening right now who's struggling with depression? Uh, what would you say to them? I would let them know that um, your body is trying to communicate something. It's trying to communicate something that needs healing. And it doesn't mean that you're broken and it doesn't mean that you're not enough. Um, I'd encourage you to go tell someone about the, the secret thoughts that you keep in your head. Find someone trustworthy who can help you on this journey. And I would also let you know that there is hope so that when you're feeling like you're in the bottom of that pit and you just see that little flicker of light or you are feeling like you're drowning and all that's above water is just your, you know, your nose and you you just are fighting, fighting, that there's hope that you can get the help you need. Just continue to follow your intuition. And I would, um, I would go, I, personally, I really think that therapy is really, really helpful in that healing process. So just know you're not alone with it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. What a wonderful, wonderful spirit. Uh, please learn more about Gemma by going to her website. That's studiogemma.com. Gemma is J-E-M-A. You can find her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, her handle is Gypsy Gemma. And while you're on her website, make sure you check out those videos. She's got some really great stuff happening. Next, I'd like to welcome our resident sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming. Uh, Dr. Megan, I'm always thrilled to have you here to chat. What is it that makes holidays so challenging for many people who are prone to depression? Um, well, I think it has so much to do with the uh, stress and expectations around the holidays. You know, we see all these wonderful um, films in Hollywood and, you know, it's amazing and families gather together and, you know, someone may have just 
had a family loss or a divorce or a relationship breakup. And I think, you know, we think about the holidays, we think about time with family and friends. Um, and, you know, it may not be, uh, you know, like somebody may be going through a loss. I think it's also to appreciate the fact that uh, holidays, it's a season off of seasonal uh, affective disorder. So some people in general struggle with uh, symptoms of depression that don't throughout the rest of the year. And how do you know if it's actually uh, seasonal depression disorder or, you know, something where you might need uh, more support? It's, it's potentially to the level where it's a mental illness versus just kind of the blahs. Right. In the blues. Um, well, I think it's to sort of check in with yourself and think about, uh, sort of the checklist and symptoms of depression, which of course, as with everything is available online. Um, but it's, it's to get a sense of like, you know, when you're really ruling out a clinical depression, it's like there's a holiday party and yeah, it might be stressful to go and what am I going to wear? But when you get there, can you enjoy yourself and have a good time or the entire time you're like, Oh my God, I wish I never came. Right. Like when someone is more clinically depressed, um, it's sort of global across the board. You know, they have a hard time potentially getting out of bed, um, just doing daily life activities, concentration, um, versus when it's sort of like, you know, it's kind of the blues and it's really just a stress. Um, you will notice the variability. Like there are times that you can sort of maybe lose yourself in work or engage in a conversation and just feel more like yourself. So if it just sort of feels like it's completely and globally taking you down, I think it's definitely worth reaching out and uh, sort of seeking the help of a friend or even a professional. And what are some of the symptoms that directly occur within a relationship or in your intimate life, um, either sexually or just with the um, emotional connectedness with a partner? Sure. I mean, again, one of the symptoms of clinical depression is loss of desire. So you might be experiencing a loss of desire. We also know that stress is the number one killer of desire. So <laughs> yeah. if you're just like, oh my God, I don't, I haven't gotten my packing done, or you're thinking about even Thanksgiving and, you know, the holiday meal. Um, again, all that stress and pressure in and of itself may put your libido out the window. And I think it's, it's with stress, it's like some people know how to lean into their relationship and seek comfort as well as like support and even asking for help uh, versus other people tend to withdraw and go in. And to your point, then there really feels like there's a disconnection. Um, and I think it's really about couples being able to communicate and be vocal, especially when they're feeling disconnected to sort of explore that why and what, what they might be able to do to sort of lean into one another. And what are some of those steps they can take? Uh, so first is the ability to to either bring it up yourself or to ask, you know, your partner, what are some of the strategies for managing depression, whether it is more of, you know, I know there's a whole spectrum and different types of depression, um, but what are some of the ways once they start that conversation uh, that they can, you know, make some positive change? Well, I think the first thing is sort of to name and identify um, what someone imagines is, is contributing to their depression. Like if they're aware of, again, it could be a loss, it could be a particular stressor. And again, if it's the case of a stressor, it's like, okay, how do you delegate? How do you take some of that off your plate? How do you take a mini vacation? Uh, have create opportunities for a spa or to relax? Again, foundation of arousal and relaxation. So um, creating opportunities to... Uh, sort of change your, um, your, your state, I think is important, um, or at least one important thing to consider. It's so interesting to me that I hear a lot of people say that it's hard for them to, at the holidays, around the holidays, to say 
No, that, that it's harder. I think there's a lot of pressure on people to, you know, want to make other people happy and stuff like that. Uh, how do you kind of shift that around to really prioritizing self-care and not seeing it as like this selfish act? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I'm famous for saying self-care isn't selfish. And, you know, I know that um, men and women, but often women in particular caretakers feel like, uh, they're at the bottom of the list. And I would say, you know what, that list isn't going to get done. And, uh, it's, it's recognizing, although it see, see, uh, seems paradoxical that when you actually take care of yourself, you have more to give. Um, and if that's your goal and intention is to help those around you, you're putting yourself first and taking care of you is actually going to create more of that. That's really, I love what you said about the list, because I think especially there's so many more to do's around that time of year and just having that extra energy. And uh, what role does sleep and rest play in all this? Because I imagine uh, stress is exacerbated as I imagine depression too, if you're not getting enough. Absolutely. I mean, I was like, pay attention to your nervous system. So what you put into your body, um, again, you might be consuming more alcohol uh, over the holidays. And, and again, alcohol is a depressant, a central nervous system depressant. So think about that. Um, and sleep is huge. We know this. I mean, there are so many studies that talk about um, the impact of sleep, both on energy levels, uh, clarity and thinking, and um, and mood. So I think if you feel like you're at risk and know that you can have a hard time around the holidays, again, it's upping the self-care. It's making sure you prioritize non-negotiably that you're going to get to sleep, that you're going to eat well, that you might go out and have a drink and, and party, but that you're just mindful to not overdo it because then you're just sort of setting yourself up to have a harder time. Sure. Oh, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, yeah, and alcohol, man, there are a lot of things around the holidays that seem like they could uh, worsen these issues. And and like you said, it's a depressant. Um so when it comes to spotting signs in, in loved ones, so besides just our, our partner, let's say, um, you know, children or extended relatives, how do we be respectful of what their emotional needs are? You know, if we're having somebody, somebody over for dinner and they, they just say, I'm, I'm really not feeling up to it, that kind of thing. Um, what are some of the ways that we can be supportive? Um, well, I think it depends in part on the nature of the, the relationship and the closeness, but I think it's just sort of say, you know, a version of, you know, um, I'm wondering, you know, I'm curious, uh, you know, how are you doing? This time of year can be hard on all of us, you know, is, do you have, it seems like you got a lot on your plate. Is there anything I can do to help? Would you, you know, want me to make a meal or whatever it might be? Um, could I go and get, you know, a gift for so-and-so, you know, um, if you, if you feel like someone's struggling, I think it's to sort of come up alongside them and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm here for you. And even just that helps them do the aloneness, which um, can be a big part of what can be so painful and isolating about depression. Oh, yeah. I love that. That whole idea, even because I think sometimes it's really hard for people to know what to say and just saying I'm here. And, and even I don't know what to say, but I just want you to know that I'm I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah. yeah. That's really huge. That's really huge. What about related issues? Do you see, um, I know that when I was struggling with, um, an eating disorder, 
it was weird for me, actually, Christmas, I'm obsessed with Christmas. It's like genetic. I get really excited. And for some reason, that was always, it's like, I knew I could be happy then. Um, but I know it's the opposite for many people with eating disorders, just food all around, uh, people with anxiety disorders or just prone to high levels of stress in general. What other sort of mental health uh, issues tend to flare up at this time of year? Um, well, like I said, you know, I had a close friend from high school who lost her brother on Christmas Eve. So, you know, we call that sort of an anniversary reaction. If you've had the death of a close one, even if it was 10, 20 years ago, it's not uncommon. It's sort of still muscle memory in your body. And, um, you know, it might be uh, still manifesting and still you're having sort of this low-level gray feeling. Um, and like I said, I think you covered a lot of the others. It could be the depression. It could be anxiety. Um, eating disorders, uh, body image, you know, people with body image issues in general, because it's like, you know, it's maybe more cocktail parties and more formal events. Um, and it's really helping people focus on the, you know, it's connecting with friends. It's, it's sort of the spirit, the energy. If you're religious, it's putting to focus sort of the bigger, larger meaning of the holiday season that, you know, Again, it's very consumer holiday. So I think thinking about, you know, the role of just enjoying friends and family connection um, and putting all that into perspective can be helpful. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Grief, I imagine also, even if you lost a loved one early in the year, you know, it maybe it's your first holidays without them or I actually heard. Exactly. Um, Cheryl Strayed, the author of Wild Speak recently, and she was talking about losing her mother and how what really helped her was knowing she had to come to peace with the fact that she would never get over it, that she could carry that and she could also move on with her life. Um, I thought that was really profound and interesting and just letting yourself feel, uh, besides saying that I can be here for you, what other ways can we work through grief at the holidays? Um, as you said, f- focusing less on the consumerism, which can be challenging, um, like, I don't know, volunteering, that kind of thing. Do those sorts of things help to sort of uh, bring back a positivity, maybe doing something in honor of that person? Sure. Um, and what I also heard what you said is acts of service, right? I think sometimes when we get out of our own head and our own experience and we give back to others and we see the joy that we're giving to others, it sort of reflexively brings up, you know, sort of joy in us. Um, and then you also said, and I think it's true, you can um, sort of memorialize or, um, you know, give a donation or a gift or, um, you know, give a gift for a family or somebody in need that those kinds of gestures are a way of celebrating, acknowledging a loved one as well as giving back. Beautiful. Beautiful. Any last uh, suggestions or, or comments you want to make on this subject? I think I'd just say it's to normalize the fact that when and if you're somebody who struggles with this time of the year, um, although that's not ideal, it's to realize certainly you're not alone. Again, it's that quality I think is so important. And just that it's it's really asking yourself, what would be most helpful? What could I use? Um, what might be a pattern interrupt? Just because, again, we get into the narrative, the story, here we go again this time of year, and you almost brace yourself for um, these feelings of depression or anxiety. And it's sort of like, whoa. I get it. There's evidence that's what your past experience has been, but it's to realize it is also part of a narrative and a story. And you also have the opportunity to rewrite a new one. So what might that look like? And can you even just visualize and start to think about even just small things that you might appreciate this holiday season? That would be a great place to start. A great place to start indeed. To learn more about Dr. Megan, please visit her website. That's greatlifegreatsex.com and follow her on Twitter at Megan Fleming, PhD. 
If you're feeling stressed or depressed for any reason this holiday season, please, 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 as Gemma said, know that you are not alone and that there is hope. I would add, again, say no to obligations that feel too painful or, you know, especially when it's really hard to say no. I think that's a sign that it's perhaps really important. It's kind of weighing out um, when it, when are you saying no to other people in order to say yes to your own survival and to your self-care and to your ability to thrive. Whatever it takes to take care of you is so, so worth it. On a related note, I actually have some fun, exciting news to share. My first nonfiction sexuality book, Embraceable, Empowering Facts and True Stories About Women's Sexuality, is now available for Kindle. I'm so excited. Uh, it contains my own personal journey to empowerment. I know you've heard some of the stories, a couple of the examples that I talk about in the book I've shared here on the air as well as stories from a variety of brave women who've learned to embrace themselves against incredible odds. And trust me, we have all been through the trenches. Uh, many of them you'll recognize from this show. You'll also be hearing more from the women in the book in the coming year, which I'm really stoked about. More purchasing options will be available soon, including the paperback. But for now, you can find the book by searching for Embraceable on Amazon or go onto my website, augustmclaughlin.com and click on books. I'll share more about the book next week as we celebrate 100 episodes of Girl Boner Radio. Can you believe that? I, wow, I was so excited. And I have a special, special guest, a returning guest who will be joining me to turn the tables, if you know what I mean. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, so don't miss that. I also want to give a little shout out to Hair by Nikki. You can find her on Instagram, Hair by Nikki, N-I-K-K-I. She's done my makeup and hair a few times uh, for some events in, in the last year. She's so talented and uh, she has some beautiful pictures on her Instagram at Hair by Nikki. Tell her that you heard about her from Girl Boner. She might, you know, give you a special deal or at least give you some really, really good treatment. Um, if you do read Embraceable, I would love to hear what you think. Find me on Twitter, Facebook, or email me through my website again. Again, that's augustmclaughlin.com. I hope you'll also like Girl Boner on Facebook, facebook.com slash mygirlboner. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>